0: This podcast was created to educate listeners on the experiences of diverse individuals. However, all opinions expressed by the host or guests do not reflect the overall standing of Tarleton Radio or Tarleton State University.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Space a Diversity Dialogue. I'm your host, Cole, and this is a biweekly podcast where together we'll have questions answered about socially sensitive topics while creating a lasting relationship with diverse people. The topic for this episode is gender roles and stereotypes. It's something that's kind of uh, a wide topic that not many people can pin down or maybe don't really understand it fully. I'm not sure I understand it fully, so I'm glad we're doing this episode to kind of flesh that out at least as much as we can in this hour to 45 minute sort of episode. I do have three very special guests who are um, experts in gender and sexuality. One we've had on the show before, Dr. Jensen Branscombe. She has been on the Women in Politics episode way back when, if you want to go listen to that one. She is a history professor here at Tarleton State University and has expertise in women, gender and sexuality in the United States. Now we also have Dr. Andrew George, he is new. He is a history professor for Tarleton State University and has expertise in the history of gender and sexuality. And finally, we have Dr. David Lehman. He is a sociology professor and has expertise in the sociology of gender. I'm super, super excited to um, share this interview with you folks. I hope that we can really flesh out a lot of questions that you guys have about gender and sexuality. I did actually poll all of the station members, as many as I could anyway, during this time to ask them if they had any questions about gender roles and why society is the way it is, why pink is for girls and blue is for boys and and why maybe that has changed over history. So I'm very, very excited to get this episode out and to, to hear what you guys think about it and to give you some education on it. Before we hop over to that interview, I want to go over a few vocabulary words that I'm not sure we've gone over before, or that maybe it's just been a while, so we'll go over them again. The first one is gender roles. So gender roles are the behavior learned by a person as appropriate to their gender determined by cultural norms. A little easier way to say that is just that gender roles are society means of What we're expected to do, how we're expected to act, dress, groom, conduct ourselves on a daily basis, depending on our assigned sex or our perceived gender. Another word that we're going to go over is masculine and feminine. So masculine is just having qualities or appearance traditionally associated with men. Um, Some examples could be being very muscular, not showing much emotion, um, showing a lot of aggression. Those are kind of masculine traits. And then feminine is just having qualities or an appearance traditionally associated with women. So that's painted nails, long hair, makeup, being pretty, being dainty. All of those things are considered feminine. And then we have just traits in general. So I mentioned masculine and feminine traits. So traits are just those distinguishing qualities or characteristics typically belonging to someone. So if someone has masculine traits, they may be more muscular. They may work out more. They they may have shorter hair. That is considered more masculine. So that is a masculine trait. Then finally, I wanted to go over the pink tax. I know I want to go over this with those folks who are going to come on and and be the experts on the show, but I want to define it a little bit. So pink tax is actually the gender-based pricing uh, or an upcharge on products traditionally intended for women. So this is usually on cosmetics, um, self-care, like shampoo, hygiene, all of that. A lot of the times we'll have pink tax. Even clothes can have pink tax. One plain shirt in uh, the women's section will be more costly than in the men's section so there's just that uh associated it's not actually a tax it's just a higher upcharge for what seems to be the only difference being it's targeted for women the only difference being a product targeted for women versus targeted at men so that's what really the pink tax means it's just an upcharge it is not an actual tax it's just an upcharge that marketers have seemed to um come up with in our uh, in our market today Hello, everyone, and welcome to Making Space a Diversity Dialogue. I'm your host, Cole. And today I have with me Dr. Branscombe, Dr. George, and Dr. Lehman from Tarleton State University, all professors who have expertise in gender and some sexuality, some history of the United States. Really excited to have them on. Thank you guys so much for coming and uh, having your time spent here. Thank you. Thanks, Cole.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: I think we're going to just jump right into the first question. Uh, How would you guys describe gender roles and gender stereotypes? Anyone can jump in on that one.
0: Well, so sociologically, we think about these things as being social constructions, not things based on uh, nature, not things that are inevitable, but instead things that uh, change from place to place. uh, And then they change over time as well. So uh, fully a a product of a, a socially constructed reality.
2: And you can think of them as like performances or roles that are taught to everybody ever since they're a little baby up to where you are now. Every time you are handed or you are given a doll for Christmas or you see, um, that Two men are playing a basketball game. Every single time you see and you as a child or as an adult witness anything that has to do with how a man should act or how a woman should act, it's teaching you about how to perform as a man or a woman. Um, And it's teaching you a certain gender performance or gender role.
3: Yeah. And I, I would just follow up. I mean, just to stress something that Dr. Lehman said, uh, that, that the, there's no standard set of what, you know, masculinity or femininity or our women's roles and men roles have, have been standard across time and place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things I enjoy studying history, uh, especially like women and gender history is seeing how those, um, you know, change, um, over time and change by culture. Um, and and I'll just add too that I, I think we'll probably get into this a little bit later, but um, as Dr. George was just saying, these these sort of performances, mm-hmm. they're they're not always um, just sort of open to interpretation, right? They're they're often restrictive. And so I think that's sometimes the, the the challenge when we talk about gender roles and why it's important to stress that these are sort of learned behaviors and, and constructs and not biological, is because historically we've seen these use more to constrain right? both men and women um, rather right. than um, have them you know, create new opportunities.
2: One thing that uh, Jensen said that maybe I think is might be worth giving an example is that Jensen was stressed, or Dr. Branscombe, sorry, was stressing this way that gender roles have not been the same throughout history. <laughs> so to give one small example from my own work um, that I'm thinking about right now, um, if you look at the history of masculinity and manliness and what kind of male roles were one trait that used to be very, very, very central to masculinity was this idea of self-control that what defined men was their ability to resist their passions, to resist, um, getting angry, to resist getting, um, too compassionate, but to be stoic and to be able to control themselves. And this was, Oftentimes used in very racist ways, they would depict people who weren't white as being less able to control themselves, and say, right. "Look, they're less than us, and they're less manly than us." And you can actually see this trait all the way into the '60s, um, the '50s, and the '60s. You can see. People forget it, but if you go back and you watch a John Wayne movie, for instance, John Wayne is always this controlled mentor figure, and the and the men below him are the ones who are rash, who are quick to anger. Captain Kirk is the same sort of example. People always forget it, but if you go back and watch, especially season one of the original Star Trek, he is this very self-controlled uh, leader who is usually holding back the impulses of the rest of his crew. Interesting. But we don't have that sense of self-control and manhood anymore in our popular mainstream culture. Manhood nowadays oftentimes means toughness or right. it means strength or bravery, but it, you've lost that sense of self-control. So, I don't know, I find that interesting. <laughs> I think that's it one example to show you.
1: Yeah, it kind of, um, it relates back to what Dr. Lehman said, which is it's based on what kind of culture and society is saying it should be at the time. And kind of talking about those restraints and looking at gender roles and stereotypes, I'll maybe have Dr. Branscombe answer this one. And then uh, you guys can hop on board. But are gender roles inherently bad because they are constraining? I sort of expected
3: this uh, question, Cole, but I, I have to admit I didn't really <laughs> come to a conclusion. You know, my my gut instinct is to say um, I, do, I do think they're bad, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not to say in every situation um, historically they have been, but... You know, maybe a, a, a nice comparison here is I, w- another field that I study is immigration history, right? And so you right. look at the history of immigration. There's these constructs historically of quote unquote good immigrants and bad immigrants. Um, but but even groups who historically have been you know in that sort of good or, or positive immigrant community our model mi- minority, that's 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 constraining, right? And it's. Mm-hmm decentralizing, right? It's stereotypical, all those sorts of things. So I would say the same thing. I mean, we've certainly seen arguments throughout history from sort of the the anti-feminist perspective who were trying to make the case that, um, you know, these the sort of ideal ideas of gender roles actually exist to protect women, right? And to sort of give them special privileges, especially when we start getting into laws that are based around those, right. um, those stereotypes. Um, but, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and many others made the case that even those laws that maybe are, are targeted to discriminate against men, right, or stereotype against men um, also have the effect of, of limiting women in some way. So I, I just think any, any sort of social idea of what, uh, what someone should be or do or behave, how they should act, um,
1: ends up having pretty, pretty negative consequences. Okay, Okay, I definitely see that. Dr. George, Dr. Lehman, do you agree with maybe they are negative or or do you think there might be some positive aspects to gender roles and stereotypes? I
2: think that they have the potential for negative consequences. I think the biggest problem that we see with gender roles is when they constrain people to the point that they're not able to express themselves. So for instance, in the history of masculinity, where we we face this idea, especially in the past 30, 40 years, where a lot of men can't develop the ability to healthily express their emotions. Or another example I see a lot of times in in modern culture, is that men oftentimes don't feel like they can express emotions to other men, which means that their male friendships tend to be much more superficial than friendships they have with, mm. with women. But in doing that, they force women to do all this emotional labor. Anyway, um, so I do think it has negative it's consequences, but, <laughs> but I also think that gender roles can give a lot of people a keen sense of identity, and a keen sense of where they belong, and what kind of group that they can belong to, what they can aspire to. And I think we tend not to see a lot of these people in academia. I think it tends to be um, in different environments. But I do think that there's a lot of people out there to be where being manly or being feminine is very important to them, gives them a lot of pride, gives them a lot of self-confidence. And so I, I guess I wouldn't discount them in, entirely, but I'm always personally of the belief that if we're going to have gender roles, we need to define them in ways that are inclusive enough that you can have men who show emotions or you can have women who play sports. You Femininity should not be something that keeps you away from certain things but we should be able to conceive of gender roles that allow people a maximum performance of what roles that they want.
1: Okay. Um, Dr. Lehman?
2: Yeah, I mean,
0: I think there there are clearly places where... Fulfilling gender roles can accord people privileges and benefits in society. But, you know, as Dr. Branscombe and Dr. George have alluded to, if you're not performing them in the way that society expects of you, then there can be all kinds of social sanctions. And I think it's important that we remember that what is really at the core of gender is is power. So we accord power to masculinity relative to femininity, and we accord power to um, particularly white versions of masculinity relative to subordinated versions of masculinity. And so I think when we think about the question of are gender roles good or bad in this frame of reference of power at a structural level of society, uh, you know, I, I think the answer is, is that they're bad, uh, that they are fundamentally a source of unequal access to resources and unequal access to social status along with that.
1: Wow. I had to think about that one for a second. Associating power with masculinity, does that mean we see people pushing more gender roles being men? Or do women push gender roles more? Because I kind of see that flip-flop of, well, my mom specifically um, may have pushed certain things on me, like, being able to fold or iron men's clothing correctly, but we also have that power attributed to masculinity. So do men push those more? Do women
2: push those more?
0: Well, I think my historian colleagues would certainly be able to point to multiple instances in in history <laughs> where women have said, hey, we deserve you know, a seat at the table and, and men have pushed back against that in the military and politics and in all sorts of social arenas. But when we also think about the sorts of things that we Celebrate, for example, in, in femininity, like like folding clothes or, or tending to children. Those are unpaid jobs where, you know, we, we don't get a paycheck for those things. They don't accord women a lot of social status uh, in society as, as a whole. So even there uh, where there are places that we celebrate aspects of femi- femininity, and those are important things, there are structural inequities in the sorts of things that we celebrate with womanhood relative to manhood, you know.
1: So there are positives to feminine traits and negatives as well. But those negatives can be uh, detrimental.
0: <laughs> well, and it's also, it's even good. the positives yeah. can be <laughs> detrimental rel- you know, at a structural level of society. What kinds of things do we reward and what kinds of things do we accord people status and esteem for? It tends not to be you're really good at rearing children. Um, those aren't the sorts of things that we attribute to people in positions of power or something like that.
2: For instance, um, I think everything that Dr. Lehman's saying is absolutely correct. But for instance, if you look at public schools, traditionally, uh, especially elementary education was something that women did more than men. It is not coincidence that public school teachers are paid much less than people who do similar jobs, and it has everything to do with gender, because these roles or these these sort of things that elementary school teachers would do, like take care of children, are things that are associated with women, and so are not as valued in our society. I also really wanted to answer your your thought about well, who's pushing these gender roles more—men or men or women? There's this idea in the history of gender that oftentimes people. Internalize these roles and reinforce them onto other people. Oftentimes, we talk about power, but what we but what we mean is kind of a system that has the ability to make women and to make men think that these roles are important, think that these hierarchies are important. So I do think that both men and women are pushing these, maybe in in equal measures, but I think that that has a lot more to do with a system of a society that has made people want to keep these around than necessarily men who think, oh, I get more power by not valuing women, so I'm going to push this. I don't think it's that intentional. I think it's much more unconscious and much more about a larger system that has taught us all from birth.
1: Do you think it has been intentional in the past and and now it's become sort of that systematic um, subconscious kind of thing?
2: There are places in history where we can look at people intentionally ju- using gender for gender roles to gain power. One of the best examples out there is oftentimes women in the at the turn of the century, white women at the turn of the century, would perform very particular, very hard to meet. Feminine gender roles as a way of showing how superior they were to Black women and to take away Black women's rights in society. So there are oftentimes like that where one group wants power over another group and they will use an insistence to conform to certain roles as a way of denigrating that other group. But I think in large part, This is more of an unconscious system that affects everybody. And it's only in very specific historical context used in an intentional way.
1: Dr. Branscombe, do you have anything to add to any of that? Well, I
3: mean, just in, you know, very much like what what Aaron or Dr. George is saying, I'm happy to dispense with titles, um, is, you know, when, when you ask your question, I mean, my my first thought was also to like, this is more of a sort of a a system or systemic thing. So, you know, I'm thinking something like the patriarchy, which of course, both men and women are complicit in. And then also as a follow up to to what uh, Dr. George was just saying, you know, a a lot of this in terms of our our modern uh, sort of mainstream American idea of gender roles, um, I, I think really sort of traces back to kind of the, the industrial revolution, right. Where we're starting to see a, a reconfiguration of our society and what it looks like uh, to go out and work and what it looks like to stay home and how that begins to divide along class lines. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I certainly think there's some intentionality, but it's just a, it's an organizing like social relationship. And so I think that's made it uh, pretty easy, even when, you know to today to again to use a something that um that dr george mentioned earlier with uh you know toys for for kids right mm-hmm. i mean this is now yes. an economy that pushes this stuff and i would say that's intentional right there's no need to market mm-hmm. things for little boys and little girls that are different um, but but it's it's sort of driven, you know, carrying over from that industrial revolution into sort of our modern uh, industrial capitalism that that profits off of these things as well. And for the most part, people,
1: are, the public is kind of happy to go along with that mm. as well. That, that's funny that you bring that up, because my next question is actually kind of going to switch gears, but you kind of made it um, on the realm of what we're talking about. Like I mentioned before, I kind of pulled and questioned and surveyed all the people in the station trying to figure out what their questions were about gender roles and stereotypes. So one of them was when you go to stores, why are there products that seem as if they could be used universally? So gender and have gendered and heavily marketed to one or the other, like one specific exa- example was razors. Um, cause I know plenty, plenty of women who use men's razors because, one, they might be a little cheaper and two, they, they work just the same or even better sometimes. So why do we see that such separation of products? Well, I'll just quickly say to your point, they, for whatever
3: reason they can make women's products, even though if they're the same as men, shaving cream, razors,
0: mm-hmm. you
3: know, soap, <laughs> uh, they can make that more Shampoo. expensive, right? We yeah. call it the pink tax. And so uh, again, that, that profit motive is at least one of the, the reasons
0: it gets back to that discussion of um, gender being imposed on us, and it gets under our skin. So we, uh, of course, I buy the men's deodorant, and uh, women buy the women's deodorant, and uh, because to do otherwise would feel somehow strange and uh, doing the performance of our gender improperly, uh, and certainly there is some intention and, and recognition of that. But to some extent, uh, the way that social constructions work is they become reified. We, we take them for granted. Uh, gender has always, to be a man has always been this. Uh, and to be a woman has always been this. It, it hasn't. You have to think historically and cross-culturally to see that. But it's so easy to take for granted. Uh, if you go out and talk to 10 people uh, here in Stephenville about what gender is, they'll give you roughly a similar idea. And we're born into that culture. And we learn that and then we take it for granted. Of course, this is what I buy. Of course, this is what uh, what I like. And these are how social constructions operate.
1: So what's funny is <laughs> you guys are doing a good job of getting to my next questions as I'm going along. Uh, you're talking about how these constructions can change over time. And from what I found, someone brought up um, when I was asking, is that even colors that have been gendered were never Always that color specific to that gender. For example, I think it was the um, prior to the 1900s. I could be wrong. I'm not an expert. But little boys used to wear pink versus girls who would actually wear blue because it was considered more dainty. So why why did that change? Why do we suddenly have skirts for girls and pants for boys and blue for boys and and pink for girls? Why why did that change? Where did that come from?
2: Well, way back when in like, I'm not not sure exactly how far I want to go back, but certainly in the 17th century, the 18th century, there's this sense, and again, this is a pretty sexist idea, but it was this idea that children, whether they were boys or girls, were ungendered and that boys grew into men, whereas girls and women kind of stayed in this pre- puberty state to some something. And so what you'll see a lot in 200, 300 years ago is you'd see um, both boy children and girl children being dressed the exact same way and um, being in many ways treated the same way. And it fed into a lot of cultural assumptions in that time period, this idea that a wife or a woman was somehow a dependent of a man, whether that man was her husband or her father. This idea that masculinity was this important thing that could be gained by men, that could be proven by men, and that women and um, children either lacked it or were unable to attain it. There were, if you go back through... A lot of old stories of the saints from um catholics from catholicism what you'll find is that there are often these cases of these women saints who did something um valorous or or did something heroic and brave and oftentimes those stories would end with them actually being transformed into men and that was one of the miracles that these women who reach the very pinnacle of heroism and become a saint are actually outgrow their gender and become men so that's a much, much earlier system that looks very alien and very sexist to us now, Mm -hmm. but it eventually gets displaced by a system we have now that women and men are complementary but fundamentally different. And that becomes much more of the norm. I would say between 1880 and 1920 is the time period, though I'm sure there are historians that could argue for or back earlier or later than that, quite, quite drastically. And that's also a reason for
0: women to, to push gender roles, uh, being sort of um, um, accepted and celebrated for being women as opposed to just being deficient versions of men. You know, that, that's a pretty solid reason to want to push for uh, there being a womanhood and that being important.
1: That's true. That kind of self-identity related to those roles. That's where we go back to whether it is positive or negative, because sometimes like even if we take uh, looking at transgender folks, um, they might specifically go for heavily binary, heavily gendered roles
2: just to try to affirm that in, in themselves. Can can I just say one thing about what you said? Yes, of course. I guess I would say, but trans folks in particular show just how complicated this idea of gender roles are. Because if we want to say gender roles are bad, gender roles are often incredibly valuable to trans people. In order to be able to fill these roles that have been so long denied them, it's very affirming to them. It helps them create a sense of identity, a sense of community, and so to say that gender roles are entirely negative, I think is to kind of erase some of the experiences of that community for existence. For instance, I guess what I'm saying is it's it's complicated.
3: Yeah, I w- I w- where I thought maybe you were going with this too, because my my mind sort of went to like the history, especially of like lesbian relationships as well, where and and Erin, you might know more about this, obviously, but um, where we see if if it's, you know, if this is happening in in among uh, gay men as well, but, you know, for, for lesbian women in particular, for, for a period of time in the 20th century, it was also um, somewhat like freeing to kind of mimic a heterosexual couple. And of course, when we talk about doing that, they're, they're not mimicking um, you know, necessarily like men and women, they're, they're mimicking those, uh, gender roles, right. Within a relationship. And so, uh, you, you sort of see, see, yeah, see a little bit of this as, as a, a way in some cases to kind of justify themselves as a, as a, as a couple, right, as a r- romantic partnership. And so, um, you know, I, I might still push back against the idea. Uh, I'll have to think about this more that th- these aren't necessarily good, good things, right? I mean, right. again, this is a product of the world that we've created, but, um, you know, I, that, that, that's an interesting way to look at this as well as how they have functioned, um, for kind of a sexual minorities in history.
0: Yeah. And there's, again, there's no doubt that our, our gender identities have significance for us uh, for, for our sense of self, but we also know, of course, for trans folks, no other group in society experiences violence more than trans folks in in a state uh, like Texas uh, in in particular. So it's not just to say, um, you know, this has significance for me, my, my gender identity, there is still a a social system imposing a logic uh, on people. And if you do things the way that society expects of you, that, you uh, privileges. Um, But if you don't, uh, that accords you disadvantages or even, you know, uh, risks you violence and death in some cases.
2: That's very true, Dr. Lehman. I I absolutely think that that's a good point. What
1: I was kind of going to go into was there are masculine traits that are seen as positive. And it's almost like masculine traits, of course, are seen as powerful and um, taken more seriously. If a woman takes on masculine traits, then it's seen as positive kind of going back to how, um, two women in a relationship might mimic, uh, a heterosexual relationship. So can we talk about what are some kind of toxic traits associated with men and kind of toxic traits associated with like, I guess the feminine?
3: Yeah. I mean, I, again, I would just stress what, you know, a question you asked earlier, um, with, with maybe some some caveats here, if if sure. I and it sounds like some of the, the others here feel like generals um, are not necessarily a good thing, then I would argue again that probably every quote unquote masculine and feminine trait is inherently toxic. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. even, you know, something when might oh, like we want someone who's who's brave or we we want a woman who's Gentle, I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of what might might come across as sort of good things. I mean, um, nurturing. If we're, yeah. I mean, what, then what happens if you're a man and, and you're maybe not brave or you feel like you have to act brave all the time or if you're a woman and maybe you don't want to be a nurturer? I mean, a, again, that that has the effect of um, just really limiting then what is kind of acceptable um, behavior for men and women. So I'm not sure if that's really getting at what you're saying, because we, we certainly talk uh, culturally now. There's a conversation yes. around about toxic masculinity, and that's part of our our language. But I, I still think it's problematic um, because we wouldn't talk about the same positive trait in a man always in as the same positive trait in a woman. Right. And that's where that gender difference comes in, um, which I just think is is a problem.
0: Yeah. And maybe we need to flip the question a little bit and think about how when men uh, uh, demonstrate these traits, they get evaluated in this way. When women demonstrate those so those same traits, uh, they get evaluated in other ways. And in our professional realm, one of the places we see this is in evaluations, student evaluations of professors, where uh, if I act in one way, students may say, uh, oh, I'm assertive or I'm competent. And my colleagues who are women can act in those same ways and they get evaluated in radically different ways. So, maybe it's not that you know men are acting in this way and women are acting in this other way it's that society is evaluating our behaviors in ways that are gendered and again according you know privileges uh, and statuses uh, in in to ways that uh, so so when men politicians cry oh man they love our country so much look how passionate they are when women politicians cry well they're not emotionally suited for public office. So the same traits get evaluated in gendered ways that show, again, uh, the privileges accorded to masculinity uh, over femininity.
1: That's a really good point, Derek. That is for sure. Uh, it, it really seems to be the perception of society um, as what's pushing these things. Um, if you're perceived one way, it's good. If you're perceived another way, it's bad, depending on what gender you are, it doesn't matter um kind of taking a question that was brought to me it's it's a little kind of a sidestep from where we're at now but so when we talk about women and how we perceive them a lot of times we'll have that question well is this are we objectifying them um specifically for their bodies um but there also seems to be a double standard now in social media, for example. So TikTok has kind of blown up as of late and the objectification of men has been a lot more popularized. Um, it's it's more popular and it's funny and OK for men to be objectified versus women. So why is there kind of that shift right now? Um why is it okay for one gender to be objectified and the other not?
2: Well, the objectification of men happens in that same context of power that oftentimes objectification of women is usually used as a way to make them an object for men. But given that men oftentimes have more power in society, objectifying of men oftentimes is centering um is centering focus and attention on them and reifying their own centrality in the society. So it it looks superficially like you're doing the exact same thing. But when you actually connect it to the larger system of power in our society, it's doing exact opposite things. By objectifying women, they come off, uh, you are... Reinforcing that they're weaker and that they're there for men. By objectifying men, you are focusing on how important they are to society and centralizing them.
0: OK, yeah, Aaron's exactly right there. And, and part of that context of power, too, is, is literally the context of sexual violence. So when when men are objectified, particularly straight white men, when they get objectified, mm-hmm. it doesn't come with the same sort of risk of sexual violence that it does uh, for queer folks, people of color and, and for women. Uh, entirely different context that, that, like Aaron said, it seems the same on the surface, but it's not at all.
1: Right. I think there's a lot of struggle, um, especially with maybe some of even my listeners trying to figure out what's okay, what's not okay. Um, of course, my, my listeners are people who have a lot of questions that maybe that aren't necessarily socially acceptable, at least from what society is deemed. So they want answers to those things. So maybe seeing on the surface level, they have that kind of question, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that Maybe we need to look on the, a deeper level and see where that's actually coming from.
2: Can I give another example quickly? It's a little tangential, but I think it's important to this conversation. Of course. Um, in the late 60s, up until the mid 70s, the new um, feminist movement of that time period really struggled with what to say about female objectification. And it was a struggle that actually kind of um, um, pulled the whole movement apart. And the disagreement was some of these feminists wanted to argue that when women wore makeup or when they appeared in certain types of clothes that were supposed to appeal to men, that they were doing that because society had told them to act in a way that gave men power over them um oftentimes these feminists would say that those women were brainwashed for doing that that society had told them they had to act in this very sexist sort of way but another group of feminists said why are you saying to these women that they aren't allowed to act in particular ways if a woman feels empowered by wearing makeup, by wearing these certain types of clothes, if they feel empowered by looking a certain way, isn't that something that is their own, that, that we should give them the space to do? Who are we to tell women what they can or cannot do? And that question whether women are being told by society to act in a way that depowers them, or whether we should celebrate the fact that women gain strength and gain power from doing these things, that pulled the whole movement apart. And it's something that feminists are still arguing about. And I don't think that there's an easy answer to it. Um, People are still trying to figure it out. If A woman who appears on TikTok and acts in a way that is objectifying, should we condemn her for what she's doing because she's reinforcing sexist tropes? Or should we say that if this is something that gives her a sense of confidence and a sense of uh, power, should we celebrate that? Um, It's tough it is tough.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, like the, the 90s ranch culture where, where this debate sort of flares up again, and as you're saying, I mean, I think even when it comes to like uh, women's sexuality and sexual expression, right, this is all all very tied into what, what you're saying. Um, I also want to just briefly add to the conversation about uh, objectifying men, right, mm-hmm. and I certainly agree with uh, what, what my colleagues um, had to say about that, but, you know, I will add to the extent that if we look um historically at the effects of objectification and um sort of tying it to like uh beauty standards right or i don't know what the what the same terminology is for men right i guess it is it handsome standards i don't know what that might be but you know i, I can see just to sort of not leave that hanging out there that there potentially is some damage being done um, you know, because we do know men struggle with body image, right? And that there's right. um, disordered eating among men as well, right? So of I, course. I don't want to dismiss that as sort of not having any sort of adverse effect uh, on men, who again maybe just fall outside of what we might define as a conventionally, you know, well-built um, muscular man, right? Whatever right. your sort of like, uh, you know, Picturing. go to yeah, a fantasy man is. Um, so I, I, I will just. Attack that on, and then I, I, I don't. Um, it's not the same as objectifying of women. There's not the same history there, but I do think it has some adverse effects.
1: Okay, um, so we're talking about there are adverse effects to kind of any um, forced uh, gender role or gender specific stereotypes. How do we go about? like combating that? How do listeners go about maybe changing the way they think about gender and gender roles?
0: So I think the first step, and in sociology, there's been a lot of work. Well, in the social sciences uh, altogether, I think the first thing we have to do is, is decouple sex and gender. So when we're talking about sex categories, we're talking about uh, our, literally our anatomy, and when we're talking about gender, we're talking about a set of expectations that society has for us. But what happens is our gender gets tied to our sex categories, and we perceive that to be a, a natural and an inevitable phenomenon. But I think if we conceptually kind of think through that and we recognize the variation among the men, uh, the masculinities uh, that we observe or the femininities that we observe. And if we look cross-culturally and over history, we see that that sex and gender connection isn't there. And then when people are doing gender in ways that we might find um, surprising or even alarming, uh, our first reaction then is not to say, well, well, something's like wrong with you, you know? And and I think that can be a a good first step to thinking about what gender is uh, and and really what gender
2: is not. I would just add to that. um, Interrogate what feels uncomfortable to you. Um, Like I think on a daily basis, the, the answer to if you find something that is different, that is strange, whether it's someone performing gender in a way you didn't expect or anything else, is to rather than recoil from it, as is oftentimes natural for humans to interrogate it, to ask yourself, well, why do I find this uncomfortable? Why do I find this strange? Um, and I think oftentimes, if you react in that sort of way, you'll come up with surprising answers to yourself about why you reacted that way. And that helps you decouple your reactions from moralistic pronouncements about how they should act. It's hard to do. Um, It's really hard to do. I think we we all have a lot of hangups regardless, even if we don't want to. But I think it's not necessarily wrong to have those hangups. What's wrong is to not challenge them and to not think further about them. Um, as well, slightly differently, um, as I kind of said earlier, I think for me, it's important to think about how we can accept more larger and inclusive roles for men and women. I'm mm-hmm. I'm not particularly sure that we need to discuss the gender roles entirely, but I think that there are certain ways of Thinking about what manhood means, they're more damaging than others. There are ways that reify violence, competitiveness, unemotionality. Um, uh, and there are ways of thinking about masculinity that can embrace much larger ideas, such as uh, emotional sensitivity, duty, respect, all of these other ideas. And maybe you can, rather than think, A woman who plays basketball is somehow less of a woman, you can instead think, well, how can how can she you can think of ways that basketball players can be feminine, you can think of basketball as something that is inherently feminine. In all of the same ways that other things are inherently feminine, it doesn't. You don't necessarily need to use it as a gatekeeper to say what is and is not feminine, but instead think of how basketball or how sports can express femininity. Maybe,
1: Dr. Branson,
3: you. Yeah, something? I mean, these are are complicated, difficult things. So maybe the only other thing I I would add to what my colleagues have said is um, maybe to to be that, um, critical and self-reflective thinking about our own lives as well. And, And this is hard too, but maybe thinking, thinking about, um, choices we make, whether it's, you know, your major, your, your career path, or even what clothes you put on in the morning, um, you know, maybe just think a little bit more critically about what has led you to the point where you, uh, where you feel like that this is, um, you know, what I feel like I need to study or, or what, uh, what clothes I want to wear. And I mean, that's maybe too, I don't know, kind of what's the word I'm like, condescending or something. And I (laughs) I certainly don't mean it that way. Um, because even as you know, a a 40 year old privileged adult, uh, woman, I mean, sometimes when I get together with my mom, I'm like, Oh, is she, am I, am I feminine enough for her? Right. So, I mean, these, these, to a certain extent, I'm very comfortable with um, sort of who I am. And I try to find ways to, um, you know, challenge what might be expected of me as a, uh, as a, as a white woman, but, um, but I'm also in a privileged position because of that. And, and it's probably easier for me to wear the occasional tie than it, than it would be for for somebody else. I don't know. So, right. um, but th- these are, um, lifelong struggles to think about for ourselves and also to see, um, as our, our world and cultural, cultural, thankfully is changing right and um we are seeing some of these expectations be a little less rigid um, but but they're certainly still out there and and powerful and i just think having conversations right learning like you know like your listeners who are maybe asking these questions um that's an act of bravery but that that's the way we're also gonna um learn and and get get past some of these limitations
1: Well, that is all I have for you guys today. Um, Is there a subject or something that you guys wanted to touch on that we haven't touched on already uh, that you might want to say to our listeners any advice anything like that I know we just talked about how maybe we can start to combat gender roles and gender stereotypes it's a lot of reflection on your own self-identity and what made you who you are but is there anything else you guys wanted to mention before we leave off here it was an
3: enjoyable conversation. I I learned, I enjoyed the questions and always enjoy having these conversations with my colleagues. So I just thank thank everybody for being a part of this.
0: We should uh, take the opportunity to pitch the um, Women, Gender and Sexuality (laughs) Studies, uh, the, the minor that we have at Tarleton, right?
1: Sure, of course.
3: Yeah, we do. We do have a minor. I mean, we offer classes, Dr. Uh, Levin and Dr. George and I all teach classes dealing with gender and sexuality and in sociological constructs and, and history. Um, and we do have a minor um, that if, if this is sort of a, a topic area that you want to learn more about in kind of an academic setting, um, you know, feel free to, to, to email or talk to any one of us. We can certainly advise you in this. But yeah, great.
1: I will Great idea um, for any for any listeners who are interested in or around Tarleton or, or have the ability to attend online for whatever reason, I will include um, some information, hopefully a link uh, to the Tarleton website, specifically um, the history and sociology department, um, all of that. And hopefully y'all can get in touch if you guys are interested. So, yeah. And, and I'm sure as your
3: listeners already know, Paul, hard yes. to interrupt, but that we also have like student organizations, mm-hmm. right? There are yes. there, there are faculty and staff, but also students um, and organizations on campus where these are like safe spaces. I know that term sometimes mm-hmm. gets overused where you can go and ask these questions that maybe um, you don't feel comfortable. You're not sure you're phrasing it the right way or using right. the right terms. Um, so we, we do have those resources and I know you in, in previous uh, podcast episodes have talked about some of these. So I just want to yes. make, make that clear as well.
0: Yeah. And we, we sort of talked around that, but feeling like maybe I'm not doing gender in the way that people expect of me can be one of the most distressing things that, that people can experience. And and so the, the students at Tarleton certainly have a wealth of resources, people to go to and, and talk to and um, help think through these things.
2: Oh, Maybe the last thing I'd say is, remember, if you feel alone, or if you feel like you're different, remember that you have a history, just like everybody else Mm -hmm. does. Um, I've taught the history of, of the LGBT community before, and I've had students come up to me who were like, I never even knew that I had a history that could be taught. And I think that that's really important to know if you feel like you're part of these groups, whether you're gay, lesbian, trans, ace, um, queer, non-binary, there is a history of your, of, of your background. And there's a way to find people like you in the past. So this is one way to feel like you're not alone um, or that you have a heritage. And I don't ever want people to not feel like that.
1: All right, guys, thank you so much for coming on and really diving into kind of this crazy concept of something maybe we can't nail down completely, (laughs) which is uh, gender roles and gender stereotypes. Um, But thank you for um, all the information. It was truly educational and I hope listeners like it. I'm sure they will.
2: Thank (laughs) Um, you. I had a lot of fun. Thank you.
1: I would like to thank my guests once again for coming in, Dr. Branscombe, Dr. George, and Dr. Lehman. I certainly enjoyed talking to them and having a good discussion about gender roles. I know it's a hard topic to kind of pinpoint on one thing or another, it's very broad, but I think we were able to discuss the social aspects of gender roles and also how those gender roles might present in ourselves and our identity. Of course, we had a lot of information and like I said before, it's a very generalized topic and it's hard to comprehend and wrap your mind around. If you have any questions about this topic, be sure to send us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at ThePlanet100.7, the radio station we're based out of. And go ahead and check back for our upcoming episode, which is about body modification. We kind of scraped the surface on what body modification really is, but I think it's something that's really interesting and I'm really excited to let y'all hear about it for updates again y'all can find us on Facebook Instagram or Twitter at the planet 100.7 thank you guys so much for listening I know it's been a little bit of a long break that's all right because I have a lot of interesting topics I'm ready to share with you guys as we go through the next couple months until next time be safe out there folks and take care and a Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from me, Taylor Welch, and me, Carissa Cole. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.